Episode 121, Jen Lim, author of the book Beyond Happiness. After the dot-com busted and I got swept in that whole wave, you know, late 90s, money title status was easy, thought I had it made, and then I got laid off. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links, show notes, and more, go to markraven.com slash mistake 121. As always, thanks for listening. Please follow, rate, and review. If you like the episode, share it with a colleague on social media. And our guest today is Jen Lim. She is the co-founder, CEO, and I love this, chief happiness officer of a company delivering happiness, a company she co-founded uh, with Tony Shea, the, uh, the late uh, CEO of Zappos. Uh, dot com to create more happiness at work and in life. Um, so Jen was a consultant, among other things that she's done at Zappos from 2003 to 2011, during the years in which it grew into being a billion-dollar business. She created the first of several Zappos culture books, and she's the author now of a book titled Beyond Happiness, How Authentic Leaders Prioritize Purpose and People for Growth and Impact. It's available now. And it just hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list last week. So with that, congrats and welcome to the podcast, Thank Jen. Thank you for that. Thank you for having me. An honor to be here. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. And you can learn more about Jen at uh, jenlim.com. Uh, it's Jen with two N's. I'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. Um, so again, jenlim.com. Um, you know, I, I do want to say also, some, you know, in your bio, it references um, the passing of, of Tony Shea, and I want to express my condolences to, to, to you. And I, I know we're coming up on about one year anniversary of, of his passing. So I know there's a, a lot of people who will be thinking of him. Yeah. Thank you for expressing that and knowing, yeah, just acknowledging that it has almost been a year, which is pretty crazy to think about, but uh, I think it's all been an important part of um, where we are in life and, and how we've all been dealing with a sense of uh, grief and loss. So thank you for bringing mm-hmm. that up. And, you know, there's, there's a lot that you've shared, um, you know, that, that you've written. And, and I saw a photo of the two of you on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. You referred to him as your partner in positivity, which, which is a great phrase as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of conversation in media out there. It's been a very public passing, um, as some of, you know, as you and some of your audience might know. But it's also been a part of me processing and because um, he passed five weeks right before I was supposed to have this book due. Mm-hmm. And um, so it really thrust me to a different place in, in uh, getting the book out in a way that I express it the best way I can. Yeah. Well, thank you for, um, or, you know, for, for sharing that. Moving forward with the book, I know that's going to help um, a lot of people, and I'm sure it already is. So um, as we, we're going to come back and talk about the book, of course, and the idea of delivering happiness. But as we always do here on the podcast, um, you know, we like to build the episode around a favorite mistake story. So Jen, looking back at the things you've done, what would you say is your favorite mistake? 
Yeah, I, I thought about this question. It's like, I thought I was going to do something around the business sphere of things, but I actually went a, a little farther back. And it was when I was just getting my you know, legs on the ground of what I'm going to do with my life. Um, and this was after the dot-com busted and I got swept in that whole wave, you know, late nineties, money title status was easy, thought I had it made. And then I got laid off. And so I lost my job. Uh, 9-11 happened. I uh, realized my dad had uh, colon cancer and he eventually passed. And so all these things happened at basically in one year. Um, and so I just knew I didn't want to go back to where I came from. And I started doing something I didn't think um, that would be like a job or a career. And I started writing and I started writing about all the things that I absorbed through the dot-com days. And eventually the book, it was a novel. I called it, um, uh, the direction deficit disorder at that time, <laughs> because yeah. there was clearly a lot of stuff that going on. And thanks to my friend for, um, helping me, uh, just massage through that whole ordeal. But, it was insane because I started writing. I was like maybe three, four chapters in and people were asking what I'm doing. So I sent it to my ex-partner, um, meaning like uh, at KPMG, he's a senior mm -hmm. manager type of thing. He read it. And then I also just like, as you know, as if I pretended I didn't know what it meant to be a first time uh, writer, sent it to like agents and they all really wanted it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was insane. So. Wow. Yeah. And so fast forward, I was in this meeting. I had uh, this, this guy, this uh, you know, ex colleague of mine that said, Hey, Lionsgate wants to option your book and reminding that this was like three, four chapters in. And then on the yeah, other Lionsgate, end, sorry to interrupt. That's a, that's a, a movie studio production company. Right? right. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. So I was just, yeah. So I was like, okay. And then on the other end was an agent, um, Deborah Schneider. She had just sold, um, if you remember the devil wears Prada mm -hmm. uh, book, first time yeah. author, uh, she sold it for like a million bucks. I was just like, it's insane. Right. Like what is going right. on here? The most surreal thing, all the worst things just happened to me and this is happening to me now. So they gave me the choice, which one do you want to do? And I went to a deeper core within myself to say, what would I do without regret? And in the end, like in reflection, it was what was, what was I going to do that was based on my values and what's important to me and never look with regret uh, and, and in hindsight. So I decided to go with the book because I hadn't even finished writing it yet. And I know like studios can just take your, <laughs> your material and just do whatever they want. And, and in the end, um, nothing happened. The book didn't sell. It almost sold. Didn't like, it was just kind of like, ah, just almost there. And then I went back to the, you know, the, the studio type of scenario and that opportunity wasn't there anymore. So in some ways that was like the best mistake I made because I went with my, you know, laurels, but it was also the worst because <laughs> it was just like, how could it, come to that point and not have anything happen of it. Um, but I learned so much from it, which was why I think that was my best mistake um, to learn from because 
I finally knew that I had some talent in writing. And even though, you know, Asian American, <laughs> like upbringing, you're not supposed to be doing this stuff for a living. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, there's a glimmer of hope there. And um, it made me understand in my own personal lows of that happening, that there's actually more that I can look forward to. Wow. So just to recap, so there, there was kind of a hard offer on the movie. You said, no, I want to pursue the book thing. And then that didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, all these offers, like, I don't know how, if you can say hard or soft, well, because it's uh, all like in a conversation <laughs> Sure. <laughs> and, you know, who knows what happens. And, and that's at the point where, because of all these variables, I went back to the core of myself of just like, who do I trust? What do I believe within myself of what I wanted to do. And at that point, I just really wanted to write this book because I just had that story to tell. And I went with that. And so, so many people along the way are just like, oh, you made the wrong choice. <laughs> like, obviously should have went with the, the movie deal. And I, you know, in hindsight, I, I, I could have, but I, I actually, because of that core balance within my values, I have never looked back with regret with that one. Yeah. So were you happy with how the book turned out? Did you even, did you have an opportunity to self-publish it or has it sat? It's sat, without, yeah. yeah. I mean, who knows, maybe now there might be some interest because uh, with this other book that just came out, but I mean, I, I uh, it, it kind of hurts and it hurt for a while to have it sitting on the shelf because I just poured so much of myself into it. And I really believe that that was like what happened during that time in a, just a realistic way. So, so yeah, uh, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so it, it's an interesting reflection because I think as you were alluding to, to some people, the story would have been the mistake was turning down the deal or turning down the sure thing. And that's not at all what I hear you saying um, that that the the decision and the path there reinforced your thoughts about following your values. It, it sounds like it didn't make you question that. It wasn't a mistake to follow what felt right for you. Fair right. to say? Yeah, totally. Perfect insight on that one. Cause I, I thought long and hard of how to answer this kind of questions. Cause I, I think for, for many people, we all don't want to live with regret. And it's one of the things that we've seen all these studies of people, you know, on their deathbeds and, you know, they ask, and what do you regret? And it's just these things that are just so fundamental to them of being happy, not working as much, spending time with people they love. And number one answer has generally been being true to yourself. And in that moment, as painful as it was to like saw this, you know, um, really bright light of like, oh, wow, there's a future in this and then have it all gone yeah. while I was laid off. It was, uh, it was a dark time, but, um, but it made me feel like I was at least doing the things that were most important to me and being authentic to myself. Yeah. And then you, so I'm curious if you've helped fill in a gap between that time and starting in Zappos in 2003 was Zappos, the kind of environment then where you could do things where you're being true to yourself and mm. kind of continuing that path. Yeah. So basically that gap was, I just started doing independent consulting and like I came from the internet background as a strategist, et cetera. And so that's like approximately around, well, 99 is when I met Tony and he was built, he just became CEO of Zappos. Mm -hmm. And so he just started saying, you know, you want to do this project, you want to do this project. And I, 
and he wanted me to, you know, join Zappos, but I was not in a place where I wanted to join anything because I'm mm-hmm. like, I got to be mean. I, I got to be independent and back to the values, be free. Um, so through that process was just as Zappos was growing, uh, I started growing with them and it eventually went from different projects to culture and the culture book, and then eventually delivering happiness, the book, launching that with Tony in 2010. And then here we are now. So I'm curious to hear then how this idea of being true to yourself ties into the book. And again, the title is Beyond Happiness. And you know, the subtitle talks about authentic leaders. Like what are some of the other lessons learned that that you hope others would take away from your story and what you're sharing in the book as well? Yeah, thank you for that. That's like, I mean, it's there's so many things that I went through in terms of trying to understand where this book needed to go. And eventually naming it beyond happiness because the perception of happiness, everyone has their sort of like, you know, instant thinks uh, or, or thoughts or images of what that looks like. Rainbows and unicorns for some <laughs> and, and, you know, other variations for others. And that's all natural and good. I mean, happiness has been around for, you know, a couple, uh, I mean, over 2000 years of Aristotle saying like happiness is the purpose of our existence and happiness is dependent on ourselves. So I took it upon myself to say, okay, well, where are we now? Because with happiness and, and just to backstory a little bit, like it's about scientific happiness, the levers and an academic side of what we pulled from positive psychology and applied it in the workplace. But with this one, why I went beyond happiness is because the authenticity of us as leaders, no matter what role we have or title we have, it comes to not just having and understanding the highs of ourselves and then therefore extrapolating the sustainable happiness of our lives. It's really actually sitting and being at peace with our lows. So not just our strengths, but our shadow sides, uh, our blind spots, and actually like sitting at the table with them, if not inviting them as friends to who we are as human beings and therefore leaders at work and in life is where I was going with the book. Well, and that mindset of being, you know, kind of uh, comfortable or at ease with setbacks or, or problems. I mean, that that's a lot of the mindset here around the podcast is being comfortable with learning and growing through mistakes. And, you know, I'm aware of, um, I'm sure I've made a mistake. I make, I make mistakes every day. Like Mm -hmm. the day is still relatively early, so I can't think of one I've made today, but, you know, I think not being in denial about mistakes is helpful. That, that, that sounds like there's a similar train of thought to not being in denial of some of the things that, um, yeah, or at best a springboard to happiness. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not just the the denial part or like it's it's basically and we have a tendency of avoidance and sweeping things under the rug of things that are just like well you know that was just one thing i've learned from it i can move on but have we really learned from it is is the question that i'm you know prompting to through this book is have we really try to understand and I have exercises in the book to make it very practical because it's not all theory unless we do the work which is the work within ourselves right like so not just uh like identifying our highs but identifying our lows and asking ourselves very the same questions for both highs and lows which is you know what values were there or not there what people were there or not there and by pulling that out and just taking intentional time to think about those things 
you see themes in our life. And that actually builds the authenticity of like, oh, that's who I am. That's what I'm scared of or fearful of or where my anxiety comes from or where this trauma might have come from in my life. And then there's also like, oh, that's why I was so happy. And usually it's not about the money title status. Usually it's something so intrinsic in you, in us, that only we can define. And that's what we stay to in terms of that core, whether high or low. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we talk about defining I mean, does, is, is happiness defined differently by, by different people? I mean, some people may value, they may think the money is happiness, or maybe that, is that defined as, as happiness to them? Or, or maybe they, I don't know, this will sound harsh, like they don't understand what happiness is. <laughs> In the end, yeah, it's a very subjective def- definition. Uh, but that's why we go by to the science of it and going by the f- philosophy and the academic side of what we've seen. And to kind of, I uh, guess, summarize it, happiness based on those terms and research is number one, knowing your intrinsic uh, dis- disposition in life which is self-awareness. And then the second thing is your pleasures. We all need it. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I mean, I've got champagne on my back here. So <laughs> there's signing. a poster for, for those who are just listening. There's a great poster that Jen has behind her about champagne that I noticed. Yeah. 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 It's just like, um, basically does running out of champagne count as cardio. And for me for the last 18 plus months, definitely. And then, so that's the, the pleasure or hedonic side. And then the third part of happiness is the, um, uh, eudaimonistic side. And that's an Aristotle thing, which is the meaning of our lives. Like, what are we doing that's bigger than ourselves? So I think the like happiness is, is subjective because we all define it for ourselves, but given the research behind it, those are the three components of like, if we really want to be real <laughs> mm-hmm. about how we define happiness, those are the factors to consider on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And then going, going back to, you know, the subtitle of the book, um, you talk again, I'll just read it off um, beyond happiness, how authentic leaders we've kind of touched on being authentic. The next part here, prioritizing purpose and people for growth and impact. So what, what I take away even just from the subtitle is more of a focus on purpose and our people leads to more growth, more impact. What, mm-hmm. what, what, what would you say about that? Yeah. And, and just uh, as a reminder, I, I, I wrote this before this great resignation. (laughs) Like I did not know this was going to last this long. I just knew from the experiences I've had around the world of people and companies and now hospitals and governments, like embedding these kind of concepts of sustainable happiness into the organization, you see significant shifts in not just the outcomes and the productivity and engagement and therefore productivity towards profits for, you know, for-profit companies, but within people. And that shift in people is what I was alluding to. Like the more we as leaders can be vulnerable and to our highs and lows of what, like, you know, every, we can't imagine everyone having a great day. Like it's going to be crappy days and we've seen a lot of it. So the more we show up as ourselves to that point, the more everyone else feels like they can as well. And that's when you get people staying or, you know, wanting to be even more loyal and working harder because there's a greater goal that you're aligned with from a personal side to the leadership side. And then 
obviously laddering up to the organization and business side of things. So that was uh, pretty interesting to see it unfold, especially, you know, in the last year um, when millions of people are quitting, even though they don't have another job lined up. And so with this whole thing of like leaders saying, how do we retain people uh, and how do we prevent burnout? These are the concepts of basically let's just be real. Number one as leaders and be real with our people and ask them, you know, Hey, what's going on and actually listen. And not to say that we can solve all the problems, but we can be there to, um, as I say, be a mirror, not the mechanic. So be the mirror, not the mechanic. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's, that's another interesting phrase. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Is that what, or what, what I think it might mean is kind of just ref, um, absorbing and reflecting what someone is sharing as opposed to trying to fix them. Exactly. Yes. And that inv- and that includes ourselves, mirror to ourselves and mirrors to people that are part of our team, people that we lead, people even in our lives. Like this has been really cool to see how this has been applied in family settings too. Just this is like we've had so much time to sit in our own spaces with deep reflection and to know that everyone is doing it this, at the same time is such an opportune time and place in our lives to hold that mirror, ask the questions that we're asking ourselves and, and just be a good listener. And with that empathy um, and treating people like the whole person, not just their skill set or responsibilities uh, or their role, but you know, where are they mentally? Where are they emotionally? Where are they financially? Like, again, we don't have to solve everything, but at least having that dialogue, then everyone feels more whole and that they feel that they can be more authentic. Mm-hmm. Well, Jen, I did want to ask you uh, about the great resignation. You know, there was a, a record high number of Americans who quit their jobs in August and you do the math, it's 3.6% of the workforce. So, I mean, that's a pretty high percentage of yeah. people to be quitting in a month. And, and, and the, the, those quit rates have I mean, if you go back and look at the data, you know, like there's a 10-year trend going back to after the last great recession. Mm-hmm. Like the the it's gone from like two million a month quitting on average to four million a month now. How how much of that? I mean, there's longer trends, but with the pandemic, how much do you think are how often are people reflecting on questions of purpose and what do I want to do with my life? And what is my legacy going to be? I mean, how much of that is, is leading to job change, do you think? I, I think that it's been, I mean, a huge indicator. One of so many de- data points as to the fact that people are quitting. And as I mentioned before, with even like not even jobs lined up next. And there's all these different um you know, there's, there's different hypotheses as, as to why this is happening. Oh, I need more flex hours. I need more pay. I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to give into this anymore. Uh, I need to take care of my kids. But an, a big factor of all this, in addition to all that, is that people are just looking for more meaning and just having that sense of purpose. And it's not to say that it's impossible when you're, you know, you're working for like you're a food runner or, you know, or for Uber Eats or, or Uber, or whatever, it's not to say those people cannot get in touch with purpose because they can. And from what I've seen, by having these kind of uh, authentic leadership dialogues, that's when you really can invite that, 
you know, honesty and transparency and vulnerability in a way that they can feel purposeful because at the end of the day, they're not saying, Oh, I, like my purpose is to deliver food. Their purpose is like, I probably, you know, I want to take care of my kids. Uh, I want to take care of my spouse or a partner. And when you tap into that and say, okay, well, I want to help you that do that too. That's when those connections happen and this great resignation, great awakening, great reset, great insert any term you want because we're living in it right now. That's when the change happens in a, in a fully um, human, you know, like humanistic way. Mm -hmm. So one other thing you touch on in the book, um, I was curious to ask you about um, looking at, you know, kind of some, the future of work. We've been in a, a shift here of working from home and some people now it's, it's a hybrid workplace or hybrid meetings. Um, you, you, you talk about hybrid and human. How, how do you, Kind of explain that in terms of the uh, the new future or what what's what's to come in the future around work. Hi, yeah. So, uh, well, I talk about the future of work being because you know future work has always been associated with technology, AI, AR, and like all of a sudden the future of work has been is now essentially what we're living. And so, I counterbalance that out because we all associate the future work being so technology driven, but my, um, like the concept I bring in the book is that it's equally as human as well. And why I say that is that there's always going to be need for what humans can bring that technology cannot, if we choose to see it that way. So the fact that we can be empathetic, we can be creative, we can be innovative, we can actually analyze problems with, a, with an emotional sense of what that could mean, that stuff can never be replaced with what the future work of technology can bring. So I think the more as we as leaders can recognize that, and, and now we're seeing it, whether it's like Microsoft, Google, Starbucks, like um, Starbucks was a client for like four years in, in terms of like them really recognizing, wait, there, there isn't just a profit, uh, a push in all of this. There's something that we can, need to reinvest in. And that's why I think it's so promising to see these major companies reinvesting, you know, millions, if not billions of dollars, going back to reskilling or finding the right fit and actually going back to the, the, the core of who we are as human beings. And, mm -hmm. and that's why I feel like it's so promising to remember the future of work is not just the, the, the tech stuff. It's not digital. It's actually human as well. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, a couple of questions and I'm kind of thinking of, you know, Steve Blank and lean startup uh, mindsets of like, can you build something and should you build something? Mm -hmm. um, can you automate something like uh, here in Southern California in some cities, um, downtown Santa Monica, you see these little tiny food delivery robots. You're talking about people mm -hmm. delivering food made me thinking about this. Like um, that can be automated. You know, how will that play out in terms of should they be automating? But I think of like the domain I work of mostly in hospitals and healthcare as a consultant there, mm -hmm. um, food delivery to patients has traditionally been done of somebody pushing carts down a hallway and bringing a cart in and with a smile and checking on the patients. They're not doing so in a, a, a purely clinical way, but they could flag down a nurse if they if their eyes see the patient is struggling. And there are some hospitals that have started automating the delivery of supplies or food on these automated carts. And, 
And I always come back to the question of, well, should they be automating that, right? Like a cart mm-hmm. going down the hall, can't smile at people. Like a person can't stop a cart to ask for directions because they're lost, which happens all the time in hospitals. Um, I mean, how yeah. would you think through, I know these are some you know, big, big picture questions of, you know, can we automate it versus should we automate it? When, when should we tap into the, the, the humanistic abilities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's the organizational design of things that's important to know, uh, because one of the things that we ask uh, ourselves with any company, let alone a hospital, and I'll, I'll share an example just in a sec, but um, is what what is our why? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why is this organization being run for hospitals? We're supposed to make patients feel comfortable, healthier, et cetera. What we're also trying to do with hospitals, we're just going to stick to that, is that we're also trying to make our care teams strong, resilient, and healthy too. So if we can think about it that way, start with the why of reorganizing ourselves so that it's laddering up to that, then it's okay to automate. It it makes that question that much easier. Um, it doesn't mean like swipe everyone out that you know, can be automated because there's a, uh, so Northwood health is one of our clients. Like they done an amazing job over the last, uh, you know, since COVID they actually increased their level. Like they went from, um, I forgot the number off the top of my head, but they went to the number two hospital of best places to work in the U S and that's pretty incredible. Like during this time. And it's because they instilled a sense of purpose and values. Like they went through this whole program. This is our purpose. They reminded everyone of it from their doctors to the nurses, to the custodians. And they were accountable by living a culture of care, which is their acronym of what they need to do for their patients and therefore uh, each other. So a quick story on that, like a custodian, um, to that point, like, you know, can that be automated? But one of the patients of Northwell, uh, his, uh, when he was you know, leaving, he was telling his son, I loved my time there. And his son was just bewildered. Like, how can like he wasn't even that well? And mm-hmm. he's like, because Louise, Louise actually came mm-hmm. in every day and gave me the sports section and we talked about the Mets. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And so I think if we can look at it that way, then we can design our organizations, uh, organizations of like what can be automated and therefore make sure the, the staff and the health and medical teams are healthy and you know, from a well being perspective, especially mm-hmm. and resilient. And be taking care of our patients as well. Yeah, that's very well said. Um, maybe one last question for you, Jen. Um, and again, the title of the book is Beyond Happiness. You know, we've been talking about workplace decisions and workplace happiness, but what, what are some of your thoughts about how to bring um, values-based decisions into our, our daily lives, not just work scenarios? Yeah, uh, this is one of my favorites because. It starts from, as I say in the book, it starts from the me. And even if we're in a situation at work where we have to be there, so to speak, because of like, we need to get paid, we need to pay our bills. I mean, those are very common situations. But once we actually do the work on ourselves of going through these exercises of, you know, what is it that's most meaningful to me? What are my values that I really want to hold near and dear to? Like, for example, because I lost my dad, because I lost Tony, and because I you know, went through other highs that were amazing, I realized it was people, it's autonomy, it's being free, and it's being myself. And it's pretty amazing. It sounds like um, 
oversimplified, but once I had that tentpole, I knew that every decision I made, I would never look back with regret. And I think that's where we can all start from in our lives. And what's really cool too, is that like, like I, I have goddaughters, nephews and nieces, but my, my family, my brothers, they do it with their kids. You know, like my brother shares values and I ask them what their values are and they build on that and they have a shared sense of values and shared sense of purpose. And that unit, you know, becomes that much more connected because it's so much more meaningful and becomes a constant dialogue. So I think it's really cool to start with the me and then do it within our relationships. The me, the why, and then extending to our relationships or then back in a workplace standpoint, extending that to our mm-hmm. colleagues, our employees, our business partners. Yeah. As I say, to... mm-hmm. oh, sorry to cut no, you off, right. but no, that's right. just the, the framing in the book is uh, the me to the we to community. Um, uh, there you go. Whether it's like, yeah, personal or workplace, I think we can all sort of like insert what that means for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, I hope people uh, will check that out again. Uh, the book Beyond Happiness: How Authentic Leaders Prioritize Purpose and People for Growth and Impact. Um, Jen Lim is the author, and she's been our guest here today. JenLim.com is her website. So, Jen, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story. And uh, again, congratulations on the book. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for the insightful questions. Well, thanks again to Jen Lim for being a great guest today. To learn more about her book and her company and her work, you can find links in the show notes, or you can go to markraven.com slash mistake one, two, one. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me my favorite mistake podcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is my favorite mistake podcast.com.